0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore, a monthly podcast in which we aim to separate our ghouls from our goblins, our snotlings from our Skaven Storm Fiends, and our bone splitters from our Beast Claw Raiders, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer stuff? My name is Ben Crome Barber, and I know fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co host, Christopher Krallen Allen. Hi there, hi. Who also knows fuck all about Warhammer. <laughs> and my dear brother, Darren. Hello. Who knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After gathering online to slay some vermin in the name of Sigmar, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. So, recap time. Dar, last month we looked at gods. Gods, gods, gods. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think we need an echo for that part. Gods, mahaha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we didn't need an echo. We just needed Chris. That was it, right? Okay. So, um, so yeah, so we looked at all the different gods for all the different races. So the elven gods, which I think were split across heaven and the underworld, there was fucking loads of them as well. It was like 20-something, 20, 20 wasn't there? 22 of them, yeah. 22 of them. Why do you need that many gods? Um, we looked at the dwarven gods, including the extraordinarily controversial White Dwarf. Let's see if we can get past this without making another vertically challenged joke.
1: Well, we don't have the track record to support that kind of statement.
0: No, moving on, moving on. We'll look to the Greenskins gods, Gork and Mork. And the Spider God? I have a note about the Spider God. I don't remember the Spider God.
1: Yeah, he's the god of forest goblins.
0: I don't recall that from last episode, but that might just be me. Then we've got the Maw, of the Ogre Kingdoms. Yeah, you know, that thing was like a toothed asshole in the middle of the desert. We've got Urson. Am I pronouncing that right? The bear god of Kislev? That's right. Who, who the fuck was he? so much of this I don't remember. I've taken <laughs> notes, but I can't remember. Exactly. This is
2: my point last night. I was like,
0: <laughs> we, we, we spoke about this? <laughs> we, we did an episode last month. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um... Okay, and then and then you have the Empire gods of which, are there even more Empire gods than there are Elven gods? Oh,
1: like- yeah, but they're all like minor gods. Where the Elven gods, each one of them is a reflection of a facet of the Elven personality. The human gods are just facets of every single individual human's perceptions of the world around them.
0: Right, okay. Kind of insignificant gods, like Jeff the God of Biscuits.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That kinda Jemima, the whole thing.
0: Oh, don't get me started on Jemima the Minor, my minor. Do not get me started. (laughs) Don't. Don't even go there.
1: She should become our patron saint.
0: I think she already is. J Dog. J Money. (laughs) J
1: J Dog. J-dog.
0: so uh so yeah so the empire gods so they were split between the northern and southern weren't they you had the old gods of the north were quite kind of scandy weren't they it was like, yeah, it's like yes yeah. yeah tal and and more and that sort of thing and, and then uther the northern good
1: <laughs>
0: <Spoople>. <laughs> you want some Loganberry with your pastry i don't know that's how they talk No,
1: I don't think it is, but that's fine.
0: (laughs) And then the Southern, the classic gods, which are more kind of Greek myth, weren't they? Mediterranean, yeah.
1: Greco-Roman style
0: gods. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that I learned something last month. You really did. I did. I mean, I wrote stuff down. I'm not sure if that counts as learning. but You missed the um, one
2: topic which we did cover that I do remember because it was my favorite, the Stromfels. Ben, who do the Stromfrells represent?
0: Is it uh Sharknado? Sharks and- Yes. Yes, right. How could we yes. forget? How could I forget those? Sharks and storms. What a combination. A combination as old as time. Like strawberries and cream. <laughs> <With> strawberries <laughs> and cream. <laughs> uh, right, so um I think that was pretty much it, wasn't it? It was it was mainly gods, a lot of gods. Did Ben passed the test.
1: Uh, for this, yes.
2: Uh, that's not a compliment. I'll give him a solid six and a half out of ten. Give him a solid six and a half, partial credit.
1: I mean, he does okay. have a shipwreck of a life, but in this, he's doing quite well. <laughs>
0: Mate, it's all about the small wins. It is all about the small wins. I'll take it. I, will I mean,
1: it. I'm, re- I'm really trying to impart pure condescending encouragement.
0: <laughs> well, all I'm hearing is encouragement.
1: Yeah, he did as well as he could.
0: (laughs) Pat (laughs) him on the head. Right, moving on, you bastards. What is the crack this month, Dar? What journey are we going on?
1: I thought this month we'd just have a quick journey around the Warhammer world, just discussing the empires and kingdoms that exist in the, in quotes, present time. So you're looking at about 5,000 years after the Chaos Gates collapsed, the kind of uh, modern context, if you will, for Warhammer.
2: This is present day Warhammer. Yeah, in quotes. Okay. Cool. Which ironically was back in the day. Okay. 5,000 years after the Polar Gates were destroyed by the Old
1: Ones?
0: Oh no were they just dis- Chris. Wait, okay.
2: All right. Uh, All right. All right. Come All right. on. Come by, on they were destroyed by
1: the new ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh fucking hell. All right, Ben, you're back in the game.
0: <laughs> ben takes pole position by default once again.
2: <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, I can keep going, but we'll, we'll be here all fucking day.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, No one knows how they were destroyed, but the most likely culprits are the chaos gods.
0: Chris knew that. Okay. I can see it in his face. So there's <laughs> this uh, kind of ongoing
2: who done it in the World of Warcraft theme going on, like who the heck destroyed those polar gates, kind of thing. <laughs> and maybe one day we'll know when they run out of
0: stories. Warhammer is essentially just a massive game of Cluedo. Yeah, or a soap opera.
1: A Warhammer Guess Who game. Can you only see the top of the character's head? It's a dwarf.
2: (laughs) Hey, does it have lobster arms and six titties? It's a weird pantheon demonic thing. (laughs) No, actually, Chris, it's your mum.
0: Chris, don't speak about your mum like that. Sorry, mum. Do we need a map, Darren? Do we need a map? He's going to
2: paint this map into our minds. (laughs) <laughs> with with the power
0: of words, words. the power of <laughs>
1: words. words yeah I suppose that might be helpful to anyone who doesn't have a book open in front of them yeah well, hold
0: on, fuck everyone else it's helpful for me <laughs> I, want to, I want to know what you're talking about sorry everyone else I didn't mean to say that love you
1: yeah what we'll do is we'll include a, a, a world map in the show notes but bear in mind that it's pretty much just our world with a kind of thin veneer of fantasy over the top. Hmm. So the continents are where you would expect them to be. So let's leap straight in and we'll start with the empire or the empire of man, as they arrogantly call themselves. The center of the old world, which is Europe or analogous with Europe in our own. So it was formed by the alliance of 12 tribes under the leadership of Sigmar, who eventually became the patron god of the empire some two and a half thousand years before present day.
0: First question, 12 tribes of humans. That's that's not a question, Chris. That's just more of a statement.
1: (laughs) 12 tribes of bearded people.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs)
2: Okay.
1: So they're currently under the leadership of the emperor, whose name is spectacularly Carl Franz. Carl. <laughs> Carl. Emperor Carl. They ran
2: out of steam after they uh, uh, designed the demons back in episode two. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh man, I've, after the six-titted lobster-handed woman, I am spent. Let's just
0: go with Carl. Jeff was suspended for a month and they just yeah they ran out of steam didn't they they were like yeah. Carl do I bet it was Carl who designed Carl <laughs> Yeah I know what we should call the leader of all men <laughs> Me <laughs> 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 carl that's fucking brilliant you're getting a corner office immediately
2: <laughs> and it's got nothing to do with the fact that carl is the son of the owner of the warhammer franchise
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> give that man a raise <laughs> carl i like your th- i can see big things for you carl <laughs> and his followers shall be called the Carlitos. no it's
2: the the Carl <laughs>
0: So Sigmar was a real person?
1: Sigmar was a a, a human, yes, who through his great deeds eventually became a demigod and transubstantiated directly into godhood as his body was never found. He simply walked out of what became Altdorf Which is the capital of the empire and disappeared, never to be found apart from dreams and prayers and the occasional intervention. What the
0: fuck? So there's no documented process in how somebody goes from human to demigod. I thought a demigod was like half human, half god, or half god, half another race. Half pig, man, bear, pig.
1: (laughs) Man, bear, pig. To be clear, he wasn't a demigod. He was a human who, through his deeds, attained godhood. And I think through the collective praise and worship of all the Carlitos, (laughs) he attained godhood, yeah?
0: Mm, Okay. So it it could have actually been two completely separate things you know sigmar left the empire just walked out the door one day and expired in the way that humans expire i don't know maybe a freak yachting accident or you know he Mm. tripped over and fell on his sword or something like that and then after he died he died and then nothing happened but then everybody started to believe in him and all of that belief coalesced in some other realm and brought him back as a god.
1: Yeah, I think it's a, it's similar to the, the story of Arthur, which is regrettably mirrored in Britonia rather than the Empire, but any sort of historical figure that brings together the population of a certain area so that they can advance culturally is to all intents and purposes a figure of worship, a figure of adoration. And I think in Warhammer that adoration manifested in the warp and Sigmar the man became Sigmar the god right okay he
2: had his bar mitzvah <laughs> <laughs> boom no. boy becomes god <laughs> Snipped his foreskin off,
0: now you are godlike. (laughs) The prerequisite to becoming any god.
1: I mean, Jesus Uh, Christ, we're like, what, 20 minutes in and we're straying into anti-Semitic language. I mean... Anti-Semitic. (laughs) Uncle-Semitic. Uncle-Semitic.
0: Yeah, it's just, you know cutting off a foreskin's a prerequisite to becoming a god sorry you've got a fo- you've got a foreskin no i'm sorry you can't come in <laughs> you're not coming in with that mate <laughs> <laughs> hats off motherfucker
1: <laughs> so the empire is divided into 12 provinces and each province is led by an elector count and it is from this group of electors that the emperor is elected from but for the vast majority of recent history in Warhammer, they've all come from the Grand Principality of Reichland, which is seen as the, the good and the great of the empire. Now, as it stands, the em- empire is made up of 12 electoral provinces. There were others, and through history, that has changed. The biggest changes, really, were the province of Soland way down in the kind of southeast of the empire, nestled in between the World's Edge Mountains and the Grey Mountains. But that was destroyed about 700 years ago by the amazingly named Gorbad Ironclaw. What was Gorbad Ironclaw? Gorbad Ironclaw is an orc warlord.
0: Okay. Those pesky orcs. Did they wipe
2: the Solons out or did they kind of become nomadic or just go, we'll move over here now?
1: Well, I mean, they massacred the populace and effectively the province was destroyed in a kind of infrastructural way. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it was absorbed into the barony of Wizenland, which expanded and took over the Solons areas and Now, it's a historical footnote. An interesting thing is each elector count is given a sword, a rune fang, which was handed to Sigmar by the dwarves when the empire was formed, when it became ratified, as it were. And the rune fang of Soland is missing, and in fact it is almost welded, bolted to the shield of Gorbad Ironclaw and the descendants that came after him.
2: So this war chief, this mega boss, this orc war chief, one of the two?
1: Mega boss really is an age of Sigmar term, so it's war boss. Okay.
2: Here. So the war boss, he took this rune fang, this sacred symbol, and took it for himself. He said, It's mine now. Yeah. And that's ever since become part of the Iron Claws branding now.
1: Yes, exactly right. And I think as the ultimate disc they don't use it as a weapon, it's mounted on a shield. <laughs>
2: What a <laughs> kick in the teeth that is. I'm not even going to use it as a sword. What,
1: what do what do orcs eat?
2: Anything and everything. Yeah. They're like the goat of the Warhammer world.
1: If you read through all the, the books that have been written about them, the thing that orcs eat the most is goblins. Really? Yeah.
2: Kind of cannibalistic. Monchy. The Bone Splitter clan, they like to hunt and conquer big beasts and then drink the the bone marrow out of their bones, don't they? To try and absorb their power.
1: Absolutely. But again, that's an Age of Sigmar thing. The progenitors of the bone splitters were the savage orcs. Okay, Very much the kind of war paint, wooden tattoos, uh, feathers, Mm. and big flint axes. Got it. Yeah,
0: are they they kind of a little bit more unruly and unorganized compared to the other orc
1: tribes then? In the rules, they start battles in a state of frenzy. So they allow themselves to either be bitten by snakes or spiders to get the venom in. And the venom gives a psychoactive effect and they go absolutely mental. That's what Chris does
0: at the start of each podcast recording, isn't it? <laughs> and then I slowly come
2: down <laughs> into a whirlwind of depression.
1: A whirlwind of depression. <laughs> I'm coming down.
2: Give me another spider. <laughs> Bring that spider over here. sick of my ass. I think i I think got space in my butt. Take it bite there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the the other areas of note are the Mootland, which is in the kind of eastern side of the Empire, nestled between Stirland and Averland. There's a lot of nestling. Yeah, there is a lot of nestling. It's quite nice, quite cozy.
2: That's a well-buttered sandwich. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, he's back on his ass spiders again. stop with your ass spiders
2: the funny thing is right they weren't actually intended to be taken up the ass originally they were just meant to be digested normally but I found this new crazy way of
0: ingesting their venom and boy oh boy anyway sorry I imagine if you keep talking like this Chris we're probably going to get approached by the manufacturers of ass spiders to uh, do a sponsorship (laughs) you're the kind of face we want on our branding Kralin (laughs) <laughs> those bloodshot eyes As spiders I'll do it for free
1: <laughs> yeah it's not your face they're interested in <laughs>
0: just when I needed it the most it failed
3: me ah she was gorgeous but my wee man was nae having any of it when I see it in a mirror even I laugh does this
0: sound familiar is your performance getting you down is your pleasure pump more of a Knob Goblin than a Clam Hammer? Well, don't worry, you're not alone. We hear this all the time. Hello, my name is Ruffkin Betterbang, and here at Betterbang Magical Enhancements, we specialize in putting the boom back in your womb broom. With our patented oils, potions, and tinctures, we'll transform your nurgling into King Dong in a matter of weeks. If longevity is a thorn in your side, look no further than our tried and tested service. We give your tallywhacker the stamina it needs, and imbued with the power of metal and beast by harnessing the winds of Gurr and Shimon, turn your little ruffled foreskin into the heat seeking moisture missile it was destined to be. Better Bang magical enhancements.
1: Come get some. So nestled between Stirland and Avaland is the Moot, which is effectively the Shire. It's where the halflings live. So if you can imagine somewhere between 15th and 17th century Germanic halflings, I want to use the word waddle, waddling around the Shire. (laughs) That's (laughs) That's a good word. Yeah, okay. So unfortunately for the halflings of the Mootland, they are themselves nestled under the left buttock of Sylvania which was originally an electoral province, but then it was taken over. I want to see if you can guess who it was taken over by, given that it's called Sylvania. The families.
2: Yeah, the little, the miniatures, (laughs) or figurines, as I like to call
0: them. Yes, you and nobody else.
1: Yes, it's the province of furries in Warhammer world. The Sylvania families. Really? (laughs) No, it's vampires, you pricks. <laughs> vampires. <laughs> really? <laughs>
0: <laughs> fucking hell. Little mini badgers <laughs> and ferrets. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all lovely and chaos never goes there. No, it's fucking vampires.
1: It's vampires. Sylvania. It's, sul- mm. it's Sylvania. Oh, 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 oh. I want to suck your blood. <laughs> 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 I'm really glad you rolled it out that way. So specifically, it's the von Karstein line of vampires. And of course, the place is just chock-a-block with necromancers and zombies as well. Nice. Sounds like a great place to go. It's a fun, good time. And politically, the current vampire lord, Manfred von Karstein, is technically an elector count and is eligible to vote in the elections of the emperor.
2: That's hilarious. Wow. I, I love technicalities like that, you know <laughs> does he does he vote?
1: <laughs> no, largely because up until about four or five years ago, he was dead. He had been killed at the Battle of Hellfen about three hundred years prior to that and was basically a bog body right. until he was reanimated and a failed attempt to kill him by Gotrek and Felix, the famous pair of mercenary heroes. Wow. So as I alluded to with the halflings, the empire really is 16th, 17th century Germany. It is the home to some of the greatest technological marvels. They've got the organ guns, they've got rocket batteries, cannons, they've got the amazingly named Luminarch of Haish, which is a wagon with a multi-lensed magical laser cannon on top of it. Wow,
0: of course. So there's a lot more projectile weaponry in the old world than I had envisaged.
1: Ranged weaponry is part and parcel of the Warhammer world. In the games, it can be quite effective, but you need like massed ranks of handgunners. You've got the pistoliers, which are... Lightly armoured nobles who ride straight at the enemy with the gunslinger style antics and then ride off again before they get stabbed.
2: I feel they're primitive firearms, like muskets, takes you five minutes to load.
1: Yeah, anything more complex than a cannon or a hand cannon is intrinsically magical in nature. So they do have all the weaponry we would associate with our own ancient history, catapults, ballista, that kind of deal. But they do have gunpowder weapons as well, yeah. Nice. So within the 12 provinces of the Empire, there are innumerable cities. The most famous are Nuln. Uh, where the great cannon forges of the Empire armies are. That's where they make their kind of larger technological advances. You'll also find a lot of dwarves live there because the Empire and the Dwarven kingdoms are allies of the ancient days. You then have Middenheim, which is this iconic a city in the Middenland province, and that is a city built on top of a mountain surrounded by a very thick woodland that is riddled with beastmen and chaos worshippers. You've got Talapime, which is in the easily pronounceable Talabekland, land, and that is a city that was built inside the crater of a comet hit. And that, in fact, is based on a real city in Germany, Norlingden, I think it's called. Where
2: which is actually built in a crater, is it?
1: In a crater in Germany, yeah. So Talheim is second only to Altdorf, which is the capital of the empire. And if you can imagine a kind of Christmas card style German vista overlaid with incredible Gothic horror and magic. So, it's where the imperial court is. It's also where all eight of the colleges of magic are, dotted around the city, the Oxbridge. Yes, it's the Oxbridge (laughs) of the empire. Nice. So, all of these cities are what's called city states. They have their own standing armies, as do the provinces, and each is decked out in a riot of color. So, the Altdorf army. Their uniforms are red and blue, quartered or striped. Mm-hmm. The Reichland army, which is the province directly below Altdorf, is a white or cream. And then, for instance, Middenheim army is shades of blues and white. So each province and each city has its own colour scheme. And if you've ever actually seen an empire army on the field or on the table for the war game, they look spectacular.
0: They look fabulous. Say what you want about those guys. They turn heads.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They turn heads and then chop them off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They turn heads right around until they just pop off.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is a a kind of bastion of civilization in the old world. But as I mentioned, it's not without its dark side. There are constant battles against chaos cultists. Mutants are born with increasing frequency And because it's so heavily forested, there's a lot of beastmen and chaos cultist activity on top of the orc invasions, the the dead of Sylvania, angry halflings, chaos dwarfs, that kind of thing.
0: You know how the eight colleges of magic are actually in the city of Altdorf? Is Altdorf quite secure? Do they have these mages and wizards and whatnot from these colleges protecting the city using magic?
1: You find that all of these cities have magic imbued into their walls, into their larger buildings, the very air around them. They are protected magically, but also by breathtaking walls of significant size. And there's a spectacular diorama made for, I think it was made for 7th edition of the Warhammer game which we'll include an image in the show notes where they build a section of one of these cities walls and it is breathtaking the amount of detail that they've gone into but that will give people a good idea. Wow, that sounds awesome. So just to the east of the Empire is a place called the Wasteland which used to be called Westerland it was an imperial province that really has one large city Marienburg and that very much is the low countries, so Holland, Luxembourg, other places that are small so around a hundred years ago a little over a hundred years ago, they actually bought their independence from the Empire because they wanted to trade as a free port and so they've made a fantastic amount of money trading imperial goods with colonies all over. The world, but also they have the largest high elf enclave outside of Ulthuan there. And so oh. trade between Marienburg and Lothurn is the kind of primary driver for the financing. And
0: where is Lothurn? Is that the capital of.
1: Yes, that's the capital of Ulthuan. Ah, uh, okay. So the kind of geographical boundaries of the empire are the world's edge mountains to the east, the Sea of Claws to the north, and the Grey Mountains to the south. Butting the wasteland and the southern empire is the chivalrous nation of Britonia, And that's a feudal kingdom of knights very much in the vein of the Arthurian legends of Britain. Nice. It is a nation of dichotomies split between a very small amount of nobles who hold all the rights, all the power, and all the land, and peasants and serfs who are little more than slaves to their masters. As wow. I said, it is a nation of knights. So you start your journey to knighthood becoming an errant knight who's expected to just fight all the time and learn. You then become a questing knight. So you go off seeking the Lady of the Lake, who is their patron god. Uh, And once you find their patron god, you become a grail knight, who are these heroic warriors imbued with power, strength, and confidence to face down armies single-handedly.
0: So in terms of styling, then,
1: the empire is
0: 16th, 17th century whereas Brittany is more, like, medieval?
1: Yeah, I'd go for that, yeah. Early medieval, yeah. Very much a noble cavalry-driven country, so you're thinking around the kind of French at the Battle of Agincourt, that kind of deal. Okay, cool. So,
0: like, the knights and stuff, we would envisage the knights of the Crusades, the Holy Crusades. More like the Holy Grail. Yeah, like yeah. the kind of squared-off helmets with the the visors that are, like, Just slits and stuff.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, if you've seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, it's those kinds of knights, but with horses, not guys with coconuts.
0: (laughs) Uh, How do you know he's a king? Well, he's not covered in shit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations. You've just written the opening paragraph of the next Warhammer Army's Bretonnia book.
0: (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Rule one get coconuts
1: <laughs> <laughs> So it's yeah as i say ruled by knights and ruled out of the various cities that you found dotted around there does that make them a
2: militant state or a democracy or are they just like a democracy, but they've just got a very substantial military presence.
1: Yeah, I think that would be a safe bet. It's just a feudal empire, as Ben said. It's the medieval feudal ideals with knights obsessed with honor and glory. But it's yeah.
0: essentially a bunch of kingdoms that are ruled by individual monarchs, and then mm-hmm. they have their knights. Is that is that how you mean?
1: Well, I'd say there's one monarch, the king, and then under them they have the dukes.
2: And the backing singers.
1: <laughs> so very much in a similar vein to the empire, Bretonnia is made up of 13 dukedoms with names that are all too familiar, like Carcassonne, Couron, Lioness, Paravon, and also the amazing, one would almost say stellar, Artois. Um, well that was a joke <laughs> nice. that fell in its arse nice <laughs> <laughs> like it <laughs> wait for laughter
2: <laughs> two
1: three anyway rethink writing career <laughs> <laughs> so rather than elector counts they've got dukes in these dukedoms and so these guys have no authority outside unless bestowed upon them by the king and they're whole purpose in life seems to be to serve the king and through him the lady of the lake who is the spirit of bretonia as we discussed last month is that the bitch in the pond man she wet bitch <laughs> 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 you deb
0: <laughs> you moist you need to dry yourself off
1: yeah it should be noted that women play the stereotypical damsel in distress kind of role Unless they are, in fact, a damsel who are the priestesses of the Lady of the Lake and the magic users, really the only magic users in Bretonnia.
0: I was going to say, is that kind of generally the role of females in the whole Warhammer saying? Because, like, I mean, what we've discussed so far, like, a lot of dudes, a lot of dudes. Sausage fest.
1: Yeah, I mean, given that it's based on 16th and 17th century Europe, Females play the role within the Warhammer world. Up until recently, that one would regrettably expect them to play. With recent rewrites, and especially I think noted in the fourth edition of the fantasy role-playing game, there's very much a kind of gender equality and cultural equality across the Warhammer setting. Just going back to the Empire, you've got female witch hunters, female mages, the elector count of Nuln, whose name I think was Emmanuel, was a woman. So as originally written, yes, a complete sausage fest. But no, it's now making a lot more progress and a lot more sense in the fantasy setting.
0: Is it a lot more balanced in the Age of Sigmar? Because that's obviously kind of in terms of the timeline a little bit further down the line. Because I know in 40K, for instance, there are a lot more female characters, aren't there? You've got like the Silent Sisterhood. There are female Inquisitors, as far as I understand. Or I might be wrong. Is that right?
1: Uh, There are female Inquisitors. I think in 40K, with one or two exceptions, the character's gender is largely irrelevant because the Imperium of Man is so monolithic that it doesn't care really about individuality it just grinds you under a kind of a single cause yeah under an oppressive bureaucracy the exceptions Mm. to that are the silent sisterhood where you not only have to be female but you also have to be an anathema you have to have no soul yeah
0: is that a pariah
1: yeah as we discussed a few episodes ago the sisters of battle or the deptus sororitas they are the battle nuns of the imperium of man (laughs) just going at you with like rulers (laughs) (laughs) gonna slap you across the knuckles (laughs) and then the only Um. other gendered faction within the imperium are the space marines who are all male
0: So I guess it's more the Warhammer Fantasy and Age of Sigmar IPs are staying true to their, as you say, analogous historical references.
1: Yeah. Right. (laughs) Did you want me to be effusive? Yes, absolutely, Ben. You've hit that right on the head.
0: Well done, Ben. (laughs) I'll be honest with you guys, that's the part that's vaguely cut. The uncomfortable silence that went before that. That's not I will be cutting that out. And in fact, I may even put some canned laughter in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Laying Down the Law was filmed in front of a live studio audience. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Just two people.
1: <laughs> so moving on. So nestled between Bretonia and the Grey Mountains is the mysterious realm of the Azare, the wood elves, known as Lauren Forest. Uh, And if you recall, those are the elves who refused to return to Ulthuan after the amazingly named War of the Beard.
2: (laughs) War of the Beard. Genuinely love that.
1: Yeah, and that was their cataclysmic war with the dwarves. So named because a dwarven ambassador offended the elven nobility and as a punishment, they shaved the dwarf's beard off. And if you know anything about dwarves, you don't do that.
0: Okay, and that was the Archduke Franz Ferdinand of the War of the Beard?
1: The Dwarf Franz Ferdinand, yes.
0: He
2: was shamed and
0: shaved. He was shame-shaved?
1: Shaved.
0: <laughs> or just shaved. <laughs> right, okay, so they shaved this poor bastard, they sent him home, and then his mates were like, right, let's go fuck up some elves.
1: Yeah, basically, yeah, and they had this huge uh, war which decimated both sides and allowed humanity to slip in between the cracks. So these wood elves have lived in Loren Forest for nearly 5,000 years, and as such, given their magical nature, they've bonded with the forest and are able to call out dryads and tree men to the raid when required. They're also incredibly isolationist and wish only to live in peace unless you disturb them in which they'll aggressively fight you and kill you. And they have my favourite troop type which are these war dancers which are the kind of acrobatic blade masters of elven history and will just, yeah, they fuck shit up. Like little tree ninjas. Exactly. Tringers. <laughs> <laughs>
3: The first time I tried ass-spiders, not only did I like it, I loved it. It just gave me a sense of rage I'd never felt before. You know, I was just a peon in the Bone Club's tribe, and that's where my disease started. And before I knew it, I was lost in the disease of ass-spider addiction for 30 years. Until enough was enough. I cried to Gork and Mark, please. So my cry led to a phone call. And my life just started changing drastically from there.
2: Here at Iron Rock Rehabilitation and Reeducation Center, we treat and heal the underlying causes of ass spider addiction so you can live a healthy and ass spider free life.
3: Now, I'm a peer recovery coach here at Iron Rock Rehab, helping other orcs take control of their lives, just like I did. Call
2: 555-340-CURE and end your ass spider dependency now.
1: Lauren Forrest itself began as this kind of virginal, untouched woodland, but over time, it's become slightly corrupted. So there's this big section of Lauren Forest called the Witchwood or the Wildwood, which is a dangerous place to go. So if you can imagine all the dark fairy tales in our own world about woods and dark forest, it very much encapsulates that kind of idea.
0: You just don't go there. Uh -uh. And the wood elves being kind of isolationist, if you were to stumble into the wood by mistake, would they like go, dude, you're not allowed here, leave? Or would they just kill you?
1: I think more often than not, they'd just kill you. But I think it, it can occasionally depend on what you do once you're there. The boundary of the forest isn't the tree line. It is, in fact, a few hundred yards in front of that. And they have marker stones set so if you cross into that you're in the realm of the wood elves right so if you take any action seen as aggressive if you try and chop down a tree if you draw a blade against some attack whether it's real or not they'll treat you as a a hostile and just you'll be riddled with arrows wow i know those
0: markers are they magic in nature like do the wood elves know as soon as somebody crosses them Or are they more there to signify to any person coming in? You are now on our patch, bitch. Welcome to the realm of the wood elves.
2: (laughs) Please keep your sword sheathed and your arrows in your quiver or be fucked up.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think the stones themselves are slightly magical. I think they have such a large number of scouts and allies amongst the tree people and dryads that there's always someone watching. So right. it's there are eyes on everything. And that's been a description of anyone that's ever been in there. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, Gilles de Breton, who founded Bretonia, he was able to walk through open handed ignoring all these charging beasts and threats that were sent against him. And he was able to walk through showing that he was pure of intent and the Bretonnians and Wood Elves formed an alliance that way. But he was the last of several hundred knights that had been sent in over the years, none of which had returned except him.
0: So their pact exists to today or to modern times in the Warhammer world? Yes, Nice. And so would you often see them fighting together on tabletop?
1: Not really. I think in earlier editions, it was more viable. In later editions, it was really an army was what was able to be encapsulated in one book. So you had a Bretonian army book, a Wood Elf army book, and really it's your own house rules for alliances in that system. Nice. So south of Bretonnia, we find Estilia and Tilia, which represent Spain and Italy, respectively. And again, you're looking at late medieval through to Renaissance period culture from Spain and Italy. I think we mentioned last month they are of Greco-Roman gods with a kind of Renaissance veneer. It's also the site of mercenary companies, so... The most significant number of mercenaries come from Tilia. So both countries are populated by passionate people who are very quick to take events. Estilia, they're in a constant state of war with Araby, which is analogous again with the Arabian Peninsula. And so there's constant crusading against the Arabian people. Tilia then is a collection of city-states, very much focused on trade and will sell things to almost anyone, and swindle almost anyone. They're very flamboyant, again, quick to take offence, and Tilia really is the home of the dogs of war, these mercenary companies that hire out to anyone who can afford them. And they've got some spectacular names, like you've got the marksmen of Miragliano, the birdmen of Catraza, And if you've ever seen the models for these, or I encourage you to go and look at the models for these, because they are spectacularly ridiculous. These are effectively crossbow men in upside down bicycles with wings. (laughs) What the
2: fuck? Sounds mental. I imagine they have like grand entrances. We are the marksmen of Bring (laughs) (laughs) Dancing
1: In. Yeah. Okay, so between Estilia and Tilia is an area of land called the Zombie Swamps. Guess what's found there? Badgers.
2: Happy things.
1: Nope, Skaven. Oh, really? It's the home of the Chaos Ratmen. It's the home of the Skaven and their warren city of Skavenblight.
2: Oh, Benz is just pricked up. Go on. This is between Cilia and Tilia.
1: Estilia and Tilia.
2: Sandwiched between them. It's like the gooch of the area. <laughs> <laughs> How fucking dare you, <laughs> dude? I think that's quite flattering for the nation of rats.
1: Probably
0: <laughs> they love a bit of perineum.
1: Yeah. To be fair, Skavenblight is the main entrance to the Skaven under empire. There is something quite assholic about it. Assholic. <laughs> assholic. Not assholic. Assholic. Asshole.
0: Asshole. Sounds like somebody who just cannot stop drinking (laughs) assholes. Hi, I'm Kralin, and I'm an assholic.
1: It's an assholic. It's where you can't stop using spiders. (laughs) (laughs) It sure is. So from Skavenblight, you can get to anywhere in the Warhammer world, any continent at all, because they've got tunnels and warrens all over the world. And where you find any major settlement, there'll be an under- Settlement, So it's where the Under-Empire is ruled from and where the dreaded Council of Thirteen assemble around the enormous warpstone pillar that has all their rules. And where's that? That's in Skavenblight.
0: That's in Skavenblight, right? Which is under the zombie swamps?
1: Yes, most of Skavenblight is underground, but the original settlement where the Skaven, in fact, were created still exists above ground although it's in rodent-based ruinage that's right, like the tip okay. of the
2: iceberg but then you go under to the, the main event is that right
1: yes very much a warren a massive warren yes. it's also where the gray seers scheme and clan scryer construct their kind of warpstone powered machinery like the warp fire thrower that we've all enjoyed in Vermintide
2: mm, okay mm.
1: So to the west of Tilia and running up the south of the empire lies the Border Princes, which is a collection of small principalities and city-states regularly invaded by beastmen and greenskins and the undead. So it, it really serves as a buffer between the empire, which is north over the Black Mountains, but it's always well supported by the empire, either through direct intervention through armies on the march, or paid mercenaries hired from Estilia and Tilia.
0: So the principalities, they take a big beating, but they get support from the other human empires.
1: Yes, because it's seen as this very important bottleneck between the uh, kingdoms of men and the empires of Greenskin. Must be a shit place to live. Is it analogous
0: with the kind of Soviet buffer zone? ex yugoslav
1: yeah, yeah, that kind of area. Yeah. Okay.
2: And I like how they've got this NATO style body that come and save their asses.
0: I bet ass spiders are rife in those principalities. Cause like what else are you gonna do? Do you know what I mean? You don't wanna deal with the reality of your position. You're just gonna get high.
1: <laughs> just get high, man. So north of the border, princes, but east of the empire run the world's edge mountain. And that's home to the Karaz Angkor, the Empire of the Dwarves, the great dwarven holes, housing ancient clans, runemasters, the forges and mines uh, of really quite gargantuan size. So very much the Lonely Mountain, Mines of Moria kind of deal, half Mm. of which are still populated by dwarves. The other half have fallen to either goblins, night goblins, orcs, or skaven. And there are some quite well-written stories about the horror of tunnel fighting against an endless horde of rat men that eventually win. So that should make you happy, Ben. I have mixed feelings about it, I'll be honest. Um,
0: <laughs> it, it sounds it sounds like a shit way to go. Kind of reminiscent of like the tunnel fighting in World War One, which just sounded horrendous. You know, it's inevitable that, because the dwarves predominantly live underground, don't they?
1: They do. I mean, they do have a couple of notable exceptions. There are forces that patrol the mountains around the entrances, and those are primarily the rangers. And then you've got actual dwarves of the sky who fly gyrocopters around tracking enemies and trying to give early warning against invasions. Right. So there was a dwarf road, the Great Dwarf Road, that ran underground the entire length of the World's Edge Mountains, which can take you from the tip of Southlands, which would be South Africa in our world, all the way up to the kind of Chaos Wastes or Norska at the north of our world, which would be Scandinavia. And those are regularly patrolled by what's called the Iron Breakers, which are these dwarves head to toe in armour. And the models are spectacular because even the beards are (laughs) armoured.
0: The precious huh. beards. That's amazing. Yeah, the dwarves were
2: always a race that I admired as well. And there's a lot of parallels in the Warhammer dwarven race, as there are in a lot of the other fantasy franchises that I engage with as well, and that whole kind of underground city thing. And in a way, the Skaven, Scarven, Skaven. 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 I don't care. Skaven <laughs> race, and their kind of underground network of things. I don't know. There's something about that subterranean kind of infrastructure
0: and ingenuity and engineering. Are you saying that you respect my Skaven? Oh, no. No, 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 no. 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 Far from it. No, I didn't think you did because um, you keep mispronouncing their fucking
1: name. <laughs> <laughs> so of the of the great dwarven holes, there's a few that are worth mentioning here at this time. The first is Barak Var, which is uh, on the coast and it's the great seaport of the dwarves where their steam-powered juggernauts head out into the seas protecting dwarven interests around the globe now these are ships not angry dog rhinos of corn although i think they would use jugger buff i
0: bet they i bet a buffs are great just
1: great great.
2: anyone who's serious about preserving the integrity of their armor and and weaponry you don't use anything less no (laughs) of course especially with the ether enriched formula
0: yeah. You'd be you'd be mad to go for one of those like knockoff brands, those OEM. Like Buckajuff. Jeff. Yeah. Ugh. Yuck. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we then have Karak Kadrin, which is the hold of the dwarven slayer cult. And if you recall, we mentioned that when dwarves fail something or feel a great sense of shame. They shave themselves down, except for their beard and impressive mohawk, which they dye orange. They throw some blue tattoos all over themselves and try and find a glorious death fighting against trolls, giants, and monsters. That's right, Yeah, yeah, and their mad orange hair. That's right. And so the Cult of Slayers has its home at Carrot Cadron. And there's a great bit of lore about them where the entrance to Karakadran is this very thin bridge of stone across a a huge chasm and the slayers I can't recall whether it's for a laugh or as part of their initiation will uh, bungee jump using troll guts so you have these yo-yoing lunatic dwarves around the bridges as you're trying to get across. <laughs> that sounds amazing.
2: <laughs> sounds <laughs> hilarious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, certainly that element of surprise again, is isn't it? What the fuck is that? Is that is that a is that a
1: dwarf? Is that a shaven dwarf? Why do they shout Jemima as they leap off? <laughs> uh,
0: Jemima the Minor, my minor.
2: They have to try and complete that sentence before they hit
3: whatever they <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah. <sighs>
1: So the, uh, the, final, the final dwarf hold worth of a mention is the capital, the Everpeak, Karaz Akarak, which is the Byzantite. seat of the... Yeah, that's the seat of High King Thorgrim Grudgebearer and his great book of grudges.
0: <laughs> he sounds like a cracking chap. <laughs> What's his name?
1: Thorgrim Grudgebearer.
0: Thorgrim Grudge Bearer. Do not get on the wrong side of him. He will never let it go. He won't.
1: <laughs> I hear you
0: bear a grudge. <laughs> <laughs> I can bearing bear in grudges.
1: <laughs> He's constantly accompanied by the great dwarven book of grudges, which is this enormous tome that they record every slight against every dwarf or dwarf nation ever. And they constantly go to war to um, be able to cross these grudges off. That's amazing. He
0: needs to
2: get laid. Just chill the fuck out, bro.
0: <laughs> Chris, <do> you know, <laughs> this whole thing is sounding very familiar to me. Do you want to cuddle, Ben? <laughs> do you want to cuddle, Chris? Are we, are we overdue? If I don't give you a cuddle, am I going to end up going in your book of grudges? I have a book dedicated to grudges against Ben. Uh, I'm not surprised.
1: North of the empire and to the west of the World's Edge Mountains, so we've, we've kind of spiraled around the old world, we come to the great frozen kingdom of Kislev, which is based on, again, 17th, 18th century Poland and Russia. Okay. It's led by the ice queen, Zarina Katarin who oversees the two enormous tribes that make up her followers. So you've got the Gospodar to the south and the Ungol to the north. And she rules them from her great ice palace in the city of Kislev. So this kingdom stands at the very edge of human civilization in the old world. And because it's so far north, the Climate means really that only the kind of strong or quick-witted survive, and it's really thanks to them that the old world has yet to be overrun fully by the forces of chaos that constantly flood down from the The northern wastes. It should be noted that they do have a real kind of city of horrors. They are called Prague, P-R-A-A-G, and that's where the very kind of stones of the buildings and the the roads have mutated so you'll have human faces come out screaming and then go back in arms reach out for you it was the furthest south that the kind of uh, true in quotes realm of chaos came down and really decimated the city of prague wow so is it is it a populated city people still live there but it's why Because really they've nowhere else to go and they're so infected, in quotes, with mutations that if they leave they would simply be killed just because they'd be viewed as corrupted and Ah, and or worshippers of chaos. There are quite a few cities with kind of dark reputations within the old world. The two most notable after Prague, really, are Mordheim in the uh, Empire, where an enormous meteorite of warpstone crashed down into the middle of the city.
0: Oh, yeah, uh, and destroyed it.
1: And destroyed it. But it's actually, it's the setting for one of the best skirmish games Games Workshop ever brought out, which was Mordheim, the game.
0: Huh, nice.
1: The other city of note is Muzalon in Britannia. Which was taken over by vampires, so it is very much the city of the dead or a city of the dead, but it's dead Bretonians. So you've got undead knights, followed by kind of peasant soldiers and hordes upon hordes of zombies.
0: Sounds marvelous.
1: So what
2: kind of race flag do they fight under? Are they are they they part of the empire, they're not are they?
1: No. Muzlon is its own kind of city state, its own kind of vampiric undead city state, and their symbol is a red grail or the blood grail uh, okay. or blood chalice. So it's a, a vampiric warlord okay. who rules the city and the surrounding lands. Gotcha. I think that's, that's really a summary of the kind of nations and countries of the old world. I mean, obviously, that is a fraction of the information about the nations of the Warhammer world as a whole, and really only mm. a, a very brief summary of the nations of the old world. But uh, I think perhaps we should look at covering the other nations, the non-human nations, in another episode.
0: Nice. Yeah, that was amazing. I loved that. And that was like the best geography lesson I've ever had.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know the old world better than I know my world. Yeah. I mean, screw
1: my world. It's boring. Did anything leap out at you?
2: Yes. The dwarven realms really intrigued me. Those kind of subterranean, but mysterious, vast, cavernous cities. Yeah, I love that kind of vibe. Are the dwarves as much into prospecting for treasure and precious metals in Warhammer as they are in other fantasy franchises? Is that their jam?
1: Oh yeah, 100%. They are craftsmen and miners first and foremost. And so they do, in the tabletop game, you can field whole regiments of dwarf miners who have got candles on their helmets and run at you with pickaxes and mattocks.
0: Delightful. (laughs) Sounds terrifying.
1: (laughs) (laughs)
2: But then they ping back on their bungee ropes. Boing!
0: Jeminer, <laughs> 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 the I really like the sound of Kislev. It sounds so Prussian, cold, and hard. And the fact that they're like the kind of the first line of defense by the sounds of it that stop or curb the amount of, of chaos coming down into the. You the might call of them humans. the meat shields of the old world yeah but the fact that they're ruled by just a kick-ass ice queen as well dang that is some that's some hard living she cold <laughs> oh you cold oh you cold and you wet <laughs> it's a conversation between the ice queen and the lady of the lake but you wet but you cold <laughs> <laughs> No no you wet oh no she didn't <laughs> all right that's all from us thank you so much for listening if you want to find out more about the topics we've discussed in this podcast you can find all the reference articles in the show notes we'll be back again next month displaying just how little chris and i know until then churro bye
1: bye